We're starting a new series this morning um, titled Spread. Spread. And the subtitle of that, this series is How to Live When You No Longer Have Home Court Advantage. How to Live When You No Longer Have Home Court Advantage. Uh, do we have any Oklahoma City Thunder fans in the house this morning? Come on. Yeah, like five of us. Come on. This is our team. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever been to a Thunder game, you understand this because when you go, you understand that there is a home court advantage, right? You understand that there is this thing called home court advantage where we have this thing in Oklahoma City at the Chesapeake Garden Arena, right, where it's called Loud City. Anybody ever sat up in Loud City? It's like the upper deck. Come on, somebody. Like two of us? Well, if you know, if you've ever been up there, I remember Cal and I, like a few years ago, we had a playoff game or whatever, and, uh, and we went up there and we had like super cheap seats up in the nosebleeds like I think it was like literally like the back row but it's so amazing because literally like it was like man like we're at the playoffs you know what I mean and I'll never forget it because it was literally like it was just such an amazing atmosphere like when you sit down low like it's great and like you can feel the presence of Loud City but like when you're up there like it's like none other like it's just like literally just an eruption you're like yeah like I'll never forget like it's kind of steep too and Callie was actually she was pregnant with Luke at the time and and, like she was like I feel like I'm gonna like topple down the stairs you know like it's kind of like nervous but here's the deal is like we know that like there is such thing as a home court advantage like when we play at home like our record is amazing because it feels like you're not alone it feels like you have people there for you cheering you on encouraging you pushing you forward I think about this in football terms as well Um, the Seattle Seahawks played the Dallas Cowboys last night and uh, my Seattle Seahawks somehow lost but I blame it it was because we didn't have home field advantage because if we would have we would have won all you Dallas Cowboys fans out here because we have something, and you're going to say, oh, you guys copied it from everything. It's called the 12th man, right? The 12th man is the crowd because we truly believe there's a massive advantage to home field advantage, right? That, man, when you get people on your side that are encouraging you, cheering for you, it makes a difference in the psyche of the players, the people that are there. But here's what I, here's what I know and I understand about life is that life gets hard. Sometimes it doesn't feel like people are cheering us on. Many times life feels so lonely. Many times it feels like we're alone in the fight. Can anybody relate to that this morning? Sometimes in our career, in our workplace, it just feels like, man, we're pushing maybe from like an uphill battle. Maybe in our schools, in our education, we're fighting to, to finish. We're fighting to pursue our dreams, and it just feels like we're fighting an uphill battle. Many times it feels like we're alone. Sometimes in our relationships, man, family, such a thing that we value But many times, family brings what? Imperfect people together with imperfect ideas and actions that many times impacts us where it feels like nobody else understands. And and this morning, as we'll piggyback on this idea, many times if you're a person of faith in the day and age that we live in, it sometimes feels like you're alone. It feels like we're fighting an uphill battle. And the, and the, 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 the message specifically for this morning as we dive into this series for the first time. The title of the message is A New Trajectory. A New Trajectory. If you're taking notes, write that down because here's what I know. We, we have a cultural trajectory that we're living in that is more and more, as we would put, post-Christian, meaning that Christianity, church, culture, it, 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 it's changing. It's not the assumption anymore. People aren't assuming church or faith, and we live more and more in a post-Christian or what we would call a post modern society and for people of faith many times you look at the news and you read the newspaper and you're like the world seems kind of crazy right 
And it's extremely uncomfortable at times to be a person of faith, feeling like you're alone, living in the world that we live in. But here's what's so amazing. We're going to look at the early pages of the Bible, of the early church in, in, the, in the book of Acts. And, and here's what's so crazy about what God does. Jesus resurrects from the grave, empowers his church, and sends them out. And here's the trajectory. We see a trajectory in our culture that's headed in the complete opposite direction of, like, some of the values. Some of the biblical values. Maybe in our nation, in our culture, right? And we see God sending his church, and he's sending them away. He's sending them into that. He's sending them away from the comfortability. He's sending them out towards people that are disconnected from God, towards people that have not found God's grace, his truth, and his love, the fact that he loves them so much, into a hostile Roman environment and culture, which is for the early church got to be so uncomfortable. And as we read along in the early book of, or in, the, in the early pages of the early church, in the book of Acts, we see more and more progressively it gets more and more uncomfortable. Because things continue to get more and more hostile. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to look a little bit at what, what God's strategy was. And here's, here's what God's strategy, just kind of cat out of the bag, you know. God, God's basically like, spread. Spread it out. Spread the good news of Jesus. And here we go. Many times we're like, well, you know, I feel like I need to have home court advantage. But as we're going to look at in the, in the book of Acts, specifically with the character of Peter, sometimes it just takes one person. Sometimes it just takes one. So this morning we're going to look at the impact of one man on a new trajectory. And we're going to dive into Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 42, kind of specifically. And we're going we're gonna to make some key observations, and then we're going we're gonna to make some, some key applications as well. Uh, my prayer for us this morning is that we wouldn't leave this place the same. That there would be things that are in God's word that would impact us and cause us to be change agents for our culture and our world. Amen? So we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 32. It's up on the screen. Follow along. This is the New International Version. If you have another Bible that you brought, different version, just follow along with your, your Bible as we read this, 932 through 42. It says, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a main man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About the time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out, out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and made people believe, many people believed in the Lord. Can we pray this morning? Lord, we're so thankful that over the next several minutes, Lord, we have an opportunity to hear from the God of the universe. So, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would we glean something? Would we understand that 
But this ancient document that we're about to pull things out of, Lord God, it, it's not disconnected from, from the day and age that we live in, but it's so directly connected to the things that we face in the human experience each and every day. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that this would be practical. I pray that we would take it, and, Lord God, we would use it and apply it, Lord, and understand as we do that, you're doing something miraculous in our lives. So, Lord, would we be good stewards of that today as you speak and choose to speak to each and every one of us. Lord, you want to have relationship even right now in this moment. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So we're going to break this down a little bit, piece by piece, and we're going to go back to the beginning, Acts chapter 9, 32 through 35 specifically. And it begins with this. It says, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And I want to show us kind of a map, because sometimes the geography gets a little bit confusing. I don't know about you. I'm not like a scholar on like Middle Eastern geography. So it helps to understand, okay, like what are we talking about here? Because God's people were filled the church, the early church was filled with God's spirit in Jerusalem, and we see this trajectory as God is sending his church outward from Jerusalem. And the first place that's mentioned is this place called Lydda, this place that is 25 miles outside of Jerusalem where he's sending Peter. And it says, there he found, in verse 33, there he found a, na a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And here's what I'll say. Is this, is a, this, is a, this opens the door for some interesting conversation in, in our world today. The miraculous. Sometimes the mir miraculous really intimidates us. But I just want to kind of open the door. Because you're like, Pastor, I'm just not really like raising people from the dead. Healing people miraculously, like, come on, like, what are we talking about? I just, I felt, I, I was reading and studying for this message uh, for this morning, and, and there was an excerpt in one of the commentaries that I read in, in terms of this idea that, that the power of prayer, the power of prayer to an extent that literally people can be raised from the dead. And rather than trying to express it in my own words, uh, biblical scholar Craig Keener, he explains it this way, and I, and I just want you to listen. For those of you who are like, I just don't know. He says this, he says, one may disagree about how to explain the claims, but one cannot simply act as if they are not offered. For example, one book documents a boy in Kinshasa, Congo, returning to life hours after being pronounced dead and left in the morgue at the moment of being prayed over. Mozambique provides several recorded examples. While Pastor Saprisa Sithole was praying for comfort for the family 12 hours after a six-year-old girl's death, and holding the child's hand, he reports that she returned to life, which had a dramatic impact on the village. One pastor's wife is said to have raised three persons from the dead, praying over the corpses as she was washing them for funerals. The first was a three-month-old girl who had died from dehydration caused by cholera. After being raised, she remained alive months in a middle-aged woman that had died of mal malaria. Mozambican pastor George was said to have raised seven from the dead, some after a more extended period of prayer, some fairly quickly, one, two days after death. He seems surprised at the foreign interviewer's interest since, he has, since his movement apparently did not consider such activity unusual. In another case, local residents, including the Hindu village elder in India, affirmed that a woman who returned to life after being pronounced dead with no breathing or pulse, and several hours after a pastor had begun praying over her, had been raised from, the de from death. Another pastor in India prayed for a girl who allegedly not only was dead, but actually had worms coming out of her nose 
After about a half an hour of prayer, she returned to consciousness and shared her post-mortem experience. This generated considerable attention in the community and was written up in the local papers, resulting in this pastor being visited by various government officials. Philip Jenkins notes that house, that house church Christians in China have many testimonies of the dead being raised. A three-self pastor also reports such an event in his church courtyard. After noting the raising and healing of a dead woman in Ethiopia, the researchers cite a major Ethiopian church leader's claim that such raisings are common there. As noted above, a number of my own friends, relatives, and acquaintances claim to have witnessed such events firsthand. One involved the raising of my sister-in-law after three hours. Even if one attributes all such claims to misdiagnosis and coincidence, one should not doubt that many others would find at least some of these claims convincing or that come from sincere eyewitnesses. There is no reason to deny that such experiences could also have characterized the early Christian movement just as many of their sources claim. And for some of us in the room, we never even swing the bat and open the door to see God's miraculous power break through. But I love it. You see, early on in church history, one man up against the world, simply seeing a need, seeing a problem, inviting God's power and presence into that equation, and seeing the miraculous break in to an extent that it caused God's power to spread. People saw, people experienced in this culture, in this town called Lydda, and took notice to God's power breaking in. Let's continue. Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Anybody want to name their child Dorcas? Come on now. She was, somebody's like, that's my name. They come rushing out. Um, she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room, which was culturally the, cu the custom during the time. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once, right? So let's look at that map again. So once again, the first destination for Peter was, was about 25 miles. Well, word spread to an extent in Lydda because the power of God broke in that people 12 miles away were like, hey, like there's this burial ritual that literally within three days, we got to get this body buried. And we just heard by faith that somebody prayed over somebody else and Jesus caused that person to be healed. Come quickly. A craving. Come quickly. God's power is breaking in. Can you be of such help? I love this. This is modern-day Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv, right? And we have word spreading to an extent where people are like, we need more of that. We need more of that. This is what happens in the church many times when faith stories begin to be swapped and partnered together. Sometimes it just takes one. When a story of faithfulness, of God's faithfulness, to where it just begins to raise the bar of faith in our hearts and our minds. I don't know about you, but when I read those stories of the testimonies of God raising people from the dead, it challenges me sometimes. Because I don't know about you, I've never been a part of a situation or a circumstance where I've seen that happen, where God used through me, or I've seen it happen through somebody else. But does that create a barrier for our faith to understand that God can still do it? 
And when God chooses to do that, when God chooses to allow us and uses the gift of healing through us as willing vessels saying, God, use me, what could happen? There's a craving, even in a culture, even in a culture that's farther and farther away from the centerpiece of religious status in Jerusalem, where the word begins to spread about God's power and his faithfulness. Let's keep going. Acts 9, 39-42. It says, Peter went up with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that, that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. It's amazing. This is a, it's a woman that was just so cherished. Not doing anything flashy in the church. Not with necessarily an upfront role. But somebody, somebody in the sidelines, somebody in the background that literally is making a massive impact on people through just a, 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 a simple skill set. Verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Verse 42, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. We see throughout this section of Scripture, God's power and his word spreading. We're seeing a trajectory away from the comforts of the religious centerpiece of Jerusalem into the mission field of those who are disconnected from God and or have problems that need to be met, that are need to be met in the scope of it can't be met given human effort, will, and hands. It's very interesting because... In Acts chapter 3, I want to talk about the difference. We are in Acts chapter 9. Well, six chapters earlier, the disciples were ministering to those who were in this religious centerpiece of Jerusalem. And a similar story happens where somebody gets healed who had been, had an issue for a very, very long time. But it's interesting because we see the countercultural outcome and religious outcome between six chapters. In Acts chapter 3, you know what happened when this person got healed and God's power worked through that person? People began to rise up and oppose the church of Jesus. Strictly religious people within their comfortability. And then we have six chapters later. And here we are. About 37 miles, right, outside Jerusalem, into the harvest field, into the places where God's saying there's people who are disconnected, right? And what do we see? We see a receptivity. We see people who are hungry for something more. People who are hungry from the boxed-in exclusive nature that many times excluded those who are outside of the Jewish faith during this time. And here's what's interesting in our day and age of church. In many of our declining churches today, 
Church people can be the biggest obstacle in the mission to reach people. Isn't that so interesting? But isn't that the pattern that we see in the opposition to Jesus' mission in the first place? Those who are choosing to be comfortable, choosing to stay within the religious sphere, are the very ones who are opposing the mission of God, saying, we got to go. we got to connect those who don't know God. we got to connect those who haven't banked in on their family line of being Jewish and being God's people. we got to connect those. The mission is, is the trajectory of outward. The mission is one that needs to spread in the direction of outside of Jerusalem and to the world. It shouldn't surprise us that many times we, as imperfect people, sometimes people of faith, get in the way of the mission of God. Because naturally, we are still people that love to wear the crown of selfishness. That's human nature. That's human selfishness. That's our old master, right? Our old master does not, wants to keep us in a place where we can be comfortable. Our human nature wants to do sometimes everything it can to oppose this idea of what would it mean for our faith to get a little uncomfortable. But we look in the early pages of the church, and what do we see? We see a new trajectory, one where God is allowing us not to be people that can just bank this one in, but have to depend in this unknown of what it means to walk out on the water and live a life Filled with faith, dependent upon him. So I just want to make, hopefully, a helpful application this morning. And here's kind of the big idea as, uh, before we dismiss um, this morning. Is this, is that life is spread with problems. How many guys know that? Human beings, you know what? You know what we bring to the table? An unlimited supply of problems and needs. Come on, somebody. It's like the old adage, like the time when the church is perfect is when nobody's in the building, right? Because when everybody gets together, here's what happens. It gets messy. We all bring imperfect problems to the table. And this is what's so crazy, though, you guys. We got to think about this for for a second. These guys that were a part of this cult at the time called The Way, these followers of Jesus that literally were following, rejecting their Jewish heritage simply because there was a God who said, I'm going to rise again, I'm king, I'm victorious, and then he does it. We have this cult called The Way that are followers of this guy who claimed to have raised from the dead. You know what's interesting? When they get up there to share the word of God, it wasn't like, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. They didn't have that. They didn't have a Bible to preach from. They didn't have this thing called the Word of God that we have such an advantage of today to open and allow God's power to flow into our lives. These guys were at such a disadvantage, but here's what they did have. And this is so helpful for us today. God's Word in their hearts and the powerful deeds of God flowing through them, spreading out and causing waves in the communities and the surrounding places. There was no church or temple to attend for those who were moving in a trajectory away. But what do we see? We see Jesus' church on the move. Not the building, but once again, people on the move through word and deed. 
through God's power, through the authenticity of understanding and seeing what God had done in their life and having a desperation to tell everyone that God, in the midst of the hopelessness, brings hope, and he wants to bring power. And he doesn't want us to just literally get complacent in being familiar with this idea called God, but he wants us to literally encounter the living God who raises dead things to life. People's problems are unlimited. Many times annoying for some of us. Many times inconvenient. But here's, here's my challenge for us this morning. As a church committing to be on the move, we can look at this once again as opportunities or we can look at it as obstacles. For many of us, we look at the unlimited supply of people's problems in our lives and we think about all the obstacles. We complain and we bicker about how the world ought to be. But it's amazing because you see farther and farther away from Jerusalem more problems outside of the religious scope and people that are willing to say this isn't an obstacle. This is an opportunity for God's power and kingdom to break in in a very true, practical and powerful way. Here's the good news for us this morning. These problems are spread everywhere we find another human being. Our days, our weeks, our minutes, our lives are filled with these problems. These problems that the early church faced, it was all around them. And these problems for us, they're surrounding us as well. Here's what I love about Peter. Peter, we think of Peter, you know, this grand guy. For the Catholics, this is the first pope. You know what I'm saying? Like, Peter, this legend, right? But I love this story, this break in the narrative of the early church, where it reminds us that for this woman that was in the shadows, in the background, no errand is too small for God's kingdom. No inconvenience is too small for God's kingdom. You might be saying, well, I'm working this really junky part-time job. My coworkers are there, 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 there. Obstacle, 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 obstacle. But would God remind you of a new trajectory this morning? There is opportunity where there is problems. There is an opportunity for you to be one to make kingdom waves and an impact wherever you find yourself and your faith finds you. It might feel like there's nobody cheering you on. It might not feel like you have home court advantage. But God's like, that's no problem for me. That's no problem for what faith looks like and translate translates into a life lived with God. Here's what I totally believe is no one is too small to God to simply preach and run. Some of us have really married into the idea that we just need to preach, we need to open our Bibles, tell the word of God, and leave. But you know, time and time again, there is not a passivity to God and his purposes when it comes to his church. But constantly, we are being pushed into activity. I think about 2 Corinthians 6.3, and it's not going to be up on the screen. But Paul says this, he says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Isn't that amazing? He says, get the obstacles out of the way. Would no obstacle create an excuse because of what you've done for somebody to connect with Jesus? These guys didn't have a Bible to open up to preach a sermon from. They literally allowed people to experience God simply because of the passion of what they saw and experienced that God did in their life. 
and the faith to believe that God was going to use them and work through them. And what an advantage that we have today to be able to open up the pages of the scriptures and be reminded that God has deposits that he wants to give to each and every one of us. I can't imagine the amount of discouragement that happened for the early church. When things didn't go their way, it's like, whew, how do, how do we work this thing out? How do we stick it out? And it's amazing because we have literally this thing called the word of God that we can open each and every day of our lives and be reminded that God is faithful. The church was exploding during this time, but we can never forget the small moments of faithfulness that made up this dynamite. Sometimes we think ministry or God's mission has to be this big, grand thing, but many times all it is is made up of faithful decision after faithful decision of the church choosing and being faithful to a new trajectory of uncomfortability, saying I can be the difference maker. In my workplace, in my school, in my scope, I can be the shepherd. I can be the Peter. I'm not expected to be Jesus, but here's what I do know. In relationship with Jesus, I'm going to see Jesus be faithful time and time again. Forget the grand things with God. This is doable. This is so doable. And I will say this as well. You matter to God. For some of you, you read this story and you, you related more to the person in the shadows who was resurrected back into life. And you feel like that person. And you just need to be reminded this morning that God sees you and he wants to resurrect your life. Maybe on a spiritual level. Maybe you've been kind of disconnected from him. But you just need to hear this morning that God sees you. You're like the Tabitha who's been in the background. But you're discounting the influence that you have, the friendships that you have, the impact that you've made on other people's life. And God wants to remind you this morning that you matter. And here's what's so amazing in God's kingdom. Each and every one of us coming to terms that God loves us, that we matter to him no matter where we find ourselves, no matter mistakes past, present, even those mistakes that we know inevitably we will make in the future, we matter to God and he loves us. And because of that, we can take time in our everyday lives to remind others that they matter as well. We have that capacity. It's not just grand, but it's doable. So my prayer this morning, church, is that it's time we would embrace this new trajectory of opportunity and God's mission. Rather than viewing our lives and the problems and the unlimited supply of problems as inconveniences, as man, I wish the world could be better. So do I. But here's what I do know. The Bible tells us we overcome evil by doing good. It takes activity. It is not passive, but it is literally made up of small, faithful decisions by people filled with God's purposes and his grace to see a world and a community changed forever. God is in the business of raising things back to life. Here's what I believe this morning. He wants to supernaturally raise the purposes of God back to life in our lives for some of us who maybe we've lost it. Amen? Can we pray this morning?